Father, we just come to you and we're going to look at a very encouraging text today. It's not going to start out that way, Lord, but uh, there's just so much encouragement in this text, Lord, about just how you love to bless your children. You love to bless those who, who with the desires of their heart, those who desire you. And that's, that's the lesson that you're going to teach us today, Lord. And a lot of times we got to wait on those blessings. A lot of times they don't come when, exactly when we want them, Lord, but we can be sure that every single promise that you've ever made in your word is going to be fulfilled. Everything that you've ever promised us as individuals is going to be fulfilled. If we'll just wait and be patient, Lord, uh, you always come through. You always settle your accounts. And, and so we can just... just uh, just trust in you and, and be encouraged by this text today. And, and we can only do that, Lord, if, if you anoint my words and anoint our ears to hear. And I ask that you do that by the power of your Holy Spirit today. I ask that in the name of Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen. I had somebody from Birmingham uh, text me this past week, and they've been listening to the study, and they told me how rich the book of James is. And I said, well, I don't know if I would call it rich, maybe painfully rich with the emphasis on pain and uh, uh, James is a pretty pretty tough book to especially after coming off a great book like the book of Hebrews it's it's pretty tough to to take some of the things that he tells us and actually man he's going to start out today and it's going to sound really rough as he talks about uh, riches and and uh, but it's going to get a lot better before we finish so hang in there all the way through the text and I think you'll be blessed uh, you know, the Bible has a lot to say about riches, doesn't it? A lot, of, lot to say about money. Uh, and we're going to be looking at one of those texts today in, in, in the book of James, the first part of the chapter number five. Uh, James is going to seem, when you look at this first part, he's going to seem to be to upbraiding the rich in a very condescending way. And uh, it's going to actually make you wonder, man, it must really be bad, you know, to be rich. And maybe that's what Jay's, James saying. But I don't know about you, but, you know, I wouldn't mind being rich. Would any, any of you object to being rich? I kind of agree with Mae West and her quote. You know, I've been rich and I've been poor. And, honey, it's a lot better being rich. <laughs> I agree with that 100%. And Rockefeller told us how we can get rich. He said, here's, how, here's three steps, three simple rules if you want to be rich. Go to work early, stay at work late, and find oil. Now, with oil prices the way they are today, I don't know if even that would make you rich. Times are pretty tough out there in the, in the, in the oil field. So the chances of any of us getting rich are probably slim to none. And so uh, you wonder why we would even want to cover a text on riches when we, we're really not rich. But you know what? The dangers that rich people have, the spiritual dangers, are the same for those who want to be rich. I mean, you might not be rich, but if you want to be rich, you better be aware because the dangers are exactly the same. See, it's the love of money that's the root of all evil. Money's not evil. If you've got a lot of money, that doesn't necessarily make you evil. If you don't have any money, that doesn't necessarily make you a spiritual giant because there are a lot of poor people who are begging, borrowing, and stealing, and doing everything they can to make money, and they've got the same problem as a rich person had. And, you, and so you can be a poor person and be just as godless as a, as, as, or just as evil as a godless rich man. 
And, and what, make, what, what is it that makes the love of money evil? What is it? Because the love of money separates us from the love of God. You remember what Jesus said. You cannot serve two masters. You will love the one and hate the other. If you love money, then you'll hate God. And that's pretty much the way it is. Uh, if, if, if money is your master, then I can tell you right now, the Lord isn't your master. And so people who will do anything to get money, I, most of the time they have little or no relationship with God. And I don't think they fear the God of the Bible because they'll do anything to get that money. And, and uh, they don't see themselves as accountable to God. And in fact, most of them, as a matter of convenience, are practical atheists. There once was this arrogant farmer who wrote a letter to the editor of a major Christian magazine. And listen to what he said in the letter. He said, I grew my crop, I planted and plowed, I cultivated and reaped. I hauled my harvest to my barns. And what were my results, dear editor? I sold more bushels per acre this October than all my church-going Christian neighbors. Pretty arrogant statement. Well, the editor uh, published his letter with a short response, with a one-line response, and this is what he said. He says, God, my friend, does not always settle his accounts in October. In other words, it's not over yet. What was he telling the man? He was telling the man that, hey, you might be doing very well financially right now, uh, but you're, you might not think you're accountable to God, but one day there's a reckoning that com is coming and God is going to settle his accounts. And that's kind of where James picks up in chapter 5, verse 1. He's got a very similar message to the, to the proud, arrogant, self-sufficient, rich people uh, in this first part of chapter number 5. And, and it's pretty strong, so, so get ready. Let's read the first verse. And listen to how, listen to how he, you know, James didn't mince words. Listen to what he says in verse, chapter uh, 5, verse number 1. He says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl, for your miseries are coming upon you now here's where a lot of people go wrong a lot of people see this passage in james and other passages in the bible as saying that god is against people being rich that god is against capitalism that god is much more communistic than he is capitalistic but uh i don't think if you look you might look at this first few verses of james and say that but if you put it in the context of the entire Bible, that's not so. And, and, and I can say this based upon just one thing. God, we, we learned in James that God does not tempt people to do evil, does he? He, he? he can't do evil and he doesn't tempt people to do evil. And, and you go back to the Old Testament and look at some of those Old Testament characters and God made them rich men. He blessed them with riches. He blessed Abraham with riches and Isaac with riches and, and Jacob with riches. And he blessed David with riches. He made Solomon like the richest man in the entire world. And so if God was giving, those, giving them those riches to tempt them, then God would be evil and God's not evil. And so money and being rich in and of itself is not evil. 
In fact, the Bible is replete with uh, exhortations for us to work hard and to gain wealth, especially in the Proverbs. You read the Proverbs. Let me just read you a few of them. In Proverbs chapter 10, it says, a lazy man makes, I'm sorry, Proverbs 14, all work brings a profit, but mere talking leads to poverty. All work brings a profit. You should work for a profit. And, and mere talking and just talking about what you're going to do leads to poverty. Proverbs chapter 10, he says, lazy hands make a poor man, but diligent hands bring wealth. In, Pro, in Proverbs chapter 13, a good man, a righteous man, leaves an inheritance for his children. He makes enough money so there's some left over for his children. And, and why do we make money? I mean, we make money so we can... We can live a good life and so that we can serve the Lord. And in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 and 10, listen to what it says. It says, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase so that your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. You want to be rich? Uh, then, then honor the Lord with all your possessions with, and, and with the first fruit, the first fruit of what you get every month. You should honor the Lord with what you get, and your barns will be filled. That's a promise in the Bible. But wait a minute, that's Old Test Testament, Pastor. That's Old Testament. I mean, what did, the, what did Jesus have to say? What did, what did the apostles have to say about riches? Didn't they, didn't they condemn wealth? I don't think so. Listen to what Jesus said. You remember, you, you remember when he... Uh, 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 in Luke chapter 10 when he gave us the parable about the three servants and each were trusted with a sum of wealth who did he commend? He commended the two servants who took, put their money to work and gained wealth and he condemned the servant who buried his money and didn't gain wealth. Also if you go to the parable of the unjust steward uh, in, in that parable in, in, uh, he gives he, he gives this exhortation to earn and use your, un, your, he says, we're to earn and use unrighteous mammon, which is money, for the good of the kingdom. And he concluded that parable by saying that if you have not been faithful with unrighteous mammon, then who will trust you with the riches of the kingdom of God? I mean, if you're not faithful with unrighteous money, that money you've got in your wallet, then God's not going to entrust you with spiritual blessings. So, you know, I don't think the Bible at all condemns those that uh, make money. In fact, I'll go so, as for, so far as to say this, that it's impossible for a Christian who's doing the right thing with his or her money to not at some point obtain some wealth. It's impossible. Now, you might not be as wealthy as Rockefeller, but when you compare yourself to the rest of these people of the world, I don't believe there's a person in this room who's not rich to some degree. I mean, the Bible is clear that what we sow is what we reap. Paul said it, and I'm, I'm reading out of the Bible in 2 Corinthians. Paul said, if we sow sparingly, we will reap sparingly. If we sow bountifully, we will reap bountifully. If we sow what? If we sow our money and our time, where do we sow our money and our time? Into the kingdom of God. If we do that, if we sow bountifully, we will reap bountifully. That's why David says over in 
the Psalms in Psalm number 37. He says, I've been young and I've been old, but I've never seen a righteous man begging for bread. Never seen it, David said. In all his life, he's never seen it. You know, I've been young and I'm still young. No. <laughs> I've been young and I've been old. And I've never seen someone who handled their finances in a way that honored the Lord that wasn't, that, who wasn't blessed by the Lord, spiritually and financially. And I can tell you just the opposite applies. I've seen a lot of people, a lot of people in my years in the ministry who don't handle their money well. They hoard what little money they make for themselves. They never give of their time. They never give of their money. And they're always struggling financially. Because what you sow is what you reap. Wait, wait a minute, Pastor. Are you preaching the prosperity gospel here at Calvary Chapel? You're going to get deflocked. No, I'm not preaching the prosperity gospel. What the prosperity gospel says is this is your motive. I mean, God's up there and all he's waiting to do, God... I heard one prominent pastor's wife who said that God lives up there just to serve you. Whoa. You got a bad, bad uh, theology when you believe something like that. God doesn't live up there to serve you. You live to serve God. And if you serve God, here's the principle. If you sow to God and you serve to God and your motive is to give to God and to honor God then you can't help but reap. That's not the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel says you sow money so you can get. In other words, you sow $10 so you can get $100. That's what you're trying to do. That's your motive for giving. That should never be our motive for giving. But as I've said on many occasions, there's a principle that applies. You don't, you don't sow to get. You don't give to get. But you, because you give, you do get. If you serve the Lord and you sow into his work, you're going to get from the Lord. And I've never seen someone who gave to the Lord and gave to his work who was not blessed by the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean that sometimes you're not going to go through some difficult financial times. But I'll tell you what, if you hang in there, and that's the lesson we're going to see today. If you hang in there in those, in those difficult times and you continue to sow into the kingdom of God and you continue to serve, well, maybe I don't have any, you don't have any money you can sow with your time. You're going to, at some point, you're going to be blessed by the Lord. That's a promise. You're going to see that today in this text. So, because, because you can't outgive God. That's a principle I've learned too. You cannot outgive God. Test him on it. Testimony. That's what God says. Test me on this principle. And you'll see that my word is true. So wait a minute, James. Why are you lambasting the rich like this? I mean, look at what he says. You rich, weep and howl like dogs, like dogs who are hurting. Weep and howl for your miseries, for the miseries that are coming upon you. Why does he, why does he, Come out against the rich so hard. If the Bible tells us we're to obtain wealth, why does he do that? Let me tell you why. Because he's speaking to the godless rich. He's speaking to those who love money more than they love God and more than they love their fellow man. In other words, their whole life is about making money. That's who he's speaking to. And he says to them, you might as well howl because you got some major 
miseries that are about to come upon you. Look at the miseries they're going to get. Look at verses 2 and 3. He says, your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded and their, their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. James, James is a nice guy. You, you, have, you have heaped up treasure in the last days. You see the warning that he's given right here? He said, what he's saying is in your eyes, everything looks great. You're wearing the finest clothes. I mean, you've got gold and silver in your pockets. You're doing really well. You're saving up for your retirement. And man, everything looks great. But not to God. Because God sees the future. He, he sees where your clothes are heading. They're going to put you in a casket one day, and those clothes are going to rot. And everything in your closet's going to become, either somebody else is going to take it, or it's going to become, it's going to become moth-eaten. It's going to be worthless. And that gold and silver you've got, it's going to become tarnished and, and, and worthless at some point. All metals become worthless at some point. That dollar bill you got in your wallet is already worthless. You just don't know it yet. I mean, what is it? What is that dollar? What is it? Maybe some of you might have a $100 bill in here. I mean, anybody got a $100 bill? That goes in the box. That $100 bill and that dollar bill are worth the same thing. They're paper. Paper. It's a promise from our government. They, you sleep good on that one. It's paper. It's nothing but paper. So you see what he's saying? I mean, you're, even if you had gold coins, at some point those metals are going to be nothing. I mean, that, those coins are going to be nothing more than tarnished metals. And that body you've got that you think so fine, it's nothing but fodder for hell. For the fires of hell. That's what he's saying. James is saying that right there. You've stored up for your retirement for the latter days. You've stored up for your retirement, but you're not going to get to spend it. God sees how much longer you've got on this earth. And you've lived your life stepping all over people. And you're going to pay for it. You're going to pay for it. Look at verses 4 through 6. He describes how the rich, the godless rich act. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of the Sabaoth. What do I use as that term for the Lord right there? What's the Sabaoth mean? The Sabbath, the Lord of rest. In other words, if you're a good employer, you should be providing for your employees in a way that they can rest. They can have time where they rest from their labors. They can rest in the wealth that they obtain from their hard labors. But you've made it nothing more than miserable. And you've not only offended them, you've offended the Lord of the Sabbath, the Lord of Sabaoth. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and in luxury, and you have fattened your hearts as in the day of slaughter. I mean, all you've done is fatten yourself up for the slaughter. You have condemned, you've slandered, maybe a better word. You have murdered the just and he has no ability to resist you. See, James is saying to the godless right here, the Lord's seen everything you've done to obtain your wealth. 
He's seen how you've cheated your employees. He's seen how you've been fraudulent in your business. He's seen how you've slandered others. He's seen how you've even murdered others in order to obtain your wealth. And he's not talking necessarily about the murder of the body, but the murder of the soul, the murder of the spirit. You've killed people's dreams. You've killed people's plans. You've walked all over people. But God is going to settle its accounts. And one day, you're nothing more than a fattened calf, fattened for the slaughter, for the slaughter of hell. Man, good news if you're rich. Now, don't be thinking, well, I'm poor. I don't have to worry about that. Look, if you slander people and you condemn people and you kill people's dreams and you step all over people in order to obtain your $10 an hour or whatever you do, you're just as guilty as the rich are. But now, now this gets really good. Now the encouragement comes. Do you feel like sometimes you've been used by your employer? You feel sometimes like you've been used by the rich? You feel sometimes like, man, where is God at in all of my trouble? I mean, why doesn't God see all of this? Why doesn't God help me? Well, hey, your day is coming. Look at, verses, verses, look at verse number seven. He says, therefore, hey, if you're a victim of these kind of ruthless people, listen to what he says, be patient, brethren, brothers and sisters in Christ. You're the children of the Lord. Until the coming of the Lord. you got to be patient until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it and receives the early and the latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts. Take a stand is what he's saying. Take a stand for the Lord. Even in tough situations, take a stand for the Lord. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. When he says at hand, what does he mean? It's as close as your hand is. I've said it over and over again. If you were to rip back this dispensation that we have in front of us right now, you would see the Lord sitting high and mighty on his throne. He is right here. He's right here at your hand. And his coming could come at any time. The coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another. In other words, cheer up. Quit your grumbling. Quit fighting with one another. That's where the wars and uh, fights come from, James said earlier, because we desire things that we don't have, because we're greedy, because we want to be rich. He said, don't grumble against one another, brethren. Your brothers and sisters in Christ, lest you be condemned. Behold the judge, the judge, and who's the judge? Who's all judgment been given to? Read John chapter Six, I believe it's in. All judgment's been given to the Son. All judgment's been given to Him. And He's standing at the door. The door of that dimension, he, he is right there. He's right there. In fact, He lives in your heart. He's standing there. So what's James saying in these three, these three verses right here? He's using the analogy of a farmer. And when a farmer farms... He certainly observes the weather. But when, the, when he needs rain and the sun's shining like it's shining out there today, does he quit working because the sun's shining and it's not raining? No, he keeps right on working. Even though he, he doesn't see the rain coming. Even though there's not a cloud in the sky, 
He keeps right on working because you know what he knows from his past experience, from the early rains, that there's going to be latter rains. Has God ever blessed you in your life? Raise your hand if God's blessed you in your life. That's unanimous, right? Do you feel blessed right now? Maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe you piously, we all, oh, yeah, we feel blessed, Lord. And then we're complaining and grumbling all the way home. You know, why the Lord doing this to me? Why did he put me with this wife or this husband? Why did, well, you know, why did he put me in this job and blah, 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 in this church with that stupid pastor? You know, I mean, why, why does he have me here? Well, we might not feel blessed, but what we got to remember is those early rains when we really did feel blessed and realize that there are latter rains coming, the greatest latter rains when the Lord, the judge who's standing at the door takes us home, takes us home to be with him. And so be patient and keep working and keep sowing so that you reap because God is going to settle his accounts and your blessings are going to come. You hear that? They're going to come. You're going to have blessings. I believe when he talks about the early rain here, he's talking about in this life. There's going to be early, there's going to be blessings in this life. They are coming. Might not seem like it now, but they're going to be blessings in this life. And there's certainly going to be blessings in the latter rain when the Lord returns. So what's, what's he saying here? Because you know that. Because you know the Lord is good and you know that the blessings are coming, then take a stand. Establish your heart. Take a stand in your heart that you're not going to grumble and complain against one another and you're not going to grumble and complain against the Lord because you know that the good times are going to come sooner or later if you'll just wait. And, and be faithful lest you be condemned. Now that doesn't mean that if you grumble and complain that you're going to be condemned to hell. We'd all end up in hell because all of us at times grumble and complain. That's not what he means by that. What he means by that is that you will be judged faithless. Not forever, but faithless. Because the Lord hears you. The Lord sees what we do. You know, when the farmer sees that, you know, he's in a drought and it's not raining, he just keeps right on plowing. Well, you might not be being blessed right now, but you keep right on plowing. You keep right on sowing. And keep right on praising the Lord because the Lord hears you. He's, the judge is at the door. And you don't want to be condemned as faithless. You want to be faithful and true to the Lord. You want to honor the Lord with your praise. And let me tell you what, there's power in praise. There's joy in praise. And there's peace in praise. And it's not going to always be raining blessings on you. There's going to be times where that sun's going to be beating down on you and it's going to be tough. But you keep right on praising the Lord. And you establish your heart and you say, I'm never going to be faithless. I'm always going to be faithful to the Lord because he is always faithful to me. And if you do that, the blessings are coming. You hang in there. You just keep right on working. You keep right on sowing. You keep right on giving to the kingdom of God. And you just wait and see the blessings are going to come. The judge who settles all accounts is going to settle your accounts. Look at verse number 10. He says, my brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. 
I mean, think about the prophets. They were given all of these great promises. Did they see all of those promises fulfilled in their lifetime? No. They saw some of them fulfilled in the early reigns, but most of them were to come in the latter reigns after they were dead. And some of your, let me tell you what, the blessings, the greatest blessings that you'll receive in this life right now don't compare in any way to the wonderful blessings God has for you in the latter reigns when you go to be with the Lord. I mean, I'm not getting a bus up today to get us out of here, but, but uh, you, you just wait. You just wait and see what the Lord has for you. See, the prophets, they believed God. They established their heart. They said they were going to trust God in all things, and therefore they were patient in long-suffering. You know, it's easy to be patient, but in long-suffering, it's tough to be patient. And they were patient in long-suffering. Then look at verse number 11. That's the last verse we'll look at today. He says, indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You know what? If you endure to the end, you're always going to be blessed. If you endure in patience, you're always going to be. You can count that person blessed who sticks with God through the, through the hard, sunny days or the hard days where the sun's beating down. That person, you can always count them as blessed. Indeed, we count them as blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job. Two books I don't like to read is James and Job. But I love to read the end of Job. It's a great, the beginning, you can have that. The middle, you can have all of that. But the end, man, I love the end. When Job sees the Lord, and then the Lord tells him to go pray for his friends, and he's blessed by the Lord. Because Job learned that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. He learned that the Lord always settles his accounts. You talk about a great example of how God settles his accounts with his children. Well, Job is it. Here was this guy, Job. He seemed to be on top of the world. Man, he, was, he was living in the land of us with a great family. He was called the wealthiest man in the East. He was the richest man in the East. And who had made him that rich? God had made him that rich. And Satan came to God and said, God, the only reason Job, Job loves you is because you made him rich. And God said, no, that's not true. I, and Satan said, well, let me take away his riches and I'll show you. So he took away his riches and Job still praised the Lord. And then Satan said, well, it's his health. Let me take away his health and he won't be praising you. And so the Lord let Satan take away his health and Job still praised him. I mean, he lost his cattle. He lost his sheep. He lost his wealth. His children were killed by marauders. And then he lost his health. And it all, Job, Job stuck with the Lord, but it all seemed so unfair to Job. Read the between chapter 1 and chapter 40, and you'll, 39 rather, and you'll see how unfair Job thought all of this was. And so in those chapters where he's there in that diatribe with his friends, he's making this case of how unfair God had treated him, unfairly God had treated him. 
And he's, he's also making the case that I'm a righteous man and I didn't deserve what God has allowed, this catastrophe that God has allowed to come upon me. But I'll tell you this, Job was mistaken about his righteousness. The Bible's very clear that there is none righteous, no, not one. But Job, there's where you got to give the guy credit. I mean, through the whole trial, he didn't curse God, he praised God, and he held tight to his faith. He was a self-righteous man, there's no doubt about that, and I believe that's what God was breaking him up. Because when Job sees the Lord, what does he do? The first thing, he falls on his face and repents in dust and ashes and says, man, I thought I knew who you were. I, Lord, forgive me. I am a, nothing more than a worm in your sight. But he persevered. He persevered in his faith to the Lord, and he saw the Lord, and he was blessed. I mean, he gets a strong rebuke from the Lord, and then he found out the end of the matter, something he, he already knew, that the Lord is gracious and compassionate, full of mercy and rich in love. Job found that out because God blessed him so greatly. God settled those accounts. And man, did he bless Job. You'll see how blessed he was. Go, go to the book of Job. We'll read the good part of Job. We'll leave that bad part alone. Let's y'all want to read the whole book today. Forget Piccadilly's. Go find Psalms, back up a book, you'll be in Job, and then go to the first chapter. Just look at a few verses here. Look at how blessed he was. Here was this man who lived in us, blameless and upright, fearing God. And in verse number two, he had seven sons and three daughters. And his possessions were 7,000 sheep. Notice that numbers, by the way. 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large house and a household. So that he was the richest or greatest of all the people in the east. And then the Lord took it all away. He allowed Satan to take it all away. Every bit of it. Even his children were taken away. And then he goes through this diatribe with all of his friends. And making his case that it was unfair the way God had treated him. Then he sees the Lord. The Lord tells him to pray for his friends. And then the Lord blesses him. And I want you to see how he was blessed. Hold your finger there in chapter 1. Flip over to chapter 41, 42 rather. Flip over to chapter 42. And look at how he was blessed. It says now, the Lord blessed the latter day talking about the latter rain of Job more than the beginning. For he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. 
What a blessed bed. Did the Lord not bless him? Did you, did you notice something there, though, that's striking about the numbers? What happened to Job? Look back at chapter 1 and look back at chapter uh, 42. Look down at verse 12. I mean, he had 7,000 sheep, and now he's got what? 14,000 sheep. He had 6,000, I mean, he had 3,000 camels, and now he's got what? 6,000 camels. He's got, had 500 oxen, and now he's got what? 1,000 camels. He's got, he had uh, 500 donkeys, and now he's got 1,000 donkeys. Now, all of you that are good at math, what has God doubled? Let me, wait, I just gave it away. What has God done here? He's doubled everything that Job owned. Everything. What a blessing. He went through the trial he, in the early reigns, he had all of this wealth. In the latter reigns, he's blessed with double. He waited through the trial, and God blessed him with double of everything he had. Uh-oh, except for one thing, the most important thing. Look at that. He had seven sons. How many sons did he have before? Seven. And he had three daughters. And he only got three daughters. Wait a minute, Lord, you doubled everything else. Why did you double the most important thing? He did. He did. Because when his daughters and his sons were killed by the Sabaeans, they passed from death into life, or from this life to the next life. And if you were to meet Job in heaven, and maybe one day you will, he will be able to introduce you to his 14 sons and six daughters. Think maybe the Lord is good. You think maybe he loves to bless us. See, that's the lesson of the text that James has given us here today. That God is always going to settle his accounts. Always. Let me warn you, and James warned you, howl and weep. If you're living your life chasing after money, and you don't have to be rich to be chasing after money, but if that is your dream and that's your goal and that's your passion, that's all you can think about, and you figured out that you don't need God in that process, in fact, a lot of people conveniently conclude that there's no God or they change the God to a different God from the God of the Bible. And you're stepping all over people and doing everything you can to make what you can make, then you'd better howl. You'd better weep. You'd better cry. Because get ready, you're going to meet your maker. The judge is at hand and the picture is not going to be pretty as he destroys your soul in hell. Jesus says some will go to everlasting bliss and life, and some will go to everlasting judgment. And if your God is your money, if your God is your belly, if your God is anything else other than the Lord, it's your appetites is what I mean by that, then weep and howl. That's what James says. Because bad days are coming, days worse than you could possibly imagine. 
On the other hand, if you love the Lord, how many of you love the Lord in here? Great. And things don't seem to be going so well for you right now. And it seems that no matter how hard you pray or how true you are to the Lord, that things just seem to be getting worse. Well, here's James' word to you today. Hang in there. Persevere. Stay true to the Lord. Because one day you're going to receive the blessing. The latter rains. You're going to receive the latter rains in this life, and you're going to receive the latter rains in the life to come. They're coming, those latter rains, trust me. And God's going to vindicate you, and he's going to reward your loyalty and faith. Because he's a God who always settles his accounts. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your word. I thank you for the great promises that we have in this word. Even from James, Lord, he seems to be so harsh sometimes, but here he promises that if we'll just persevere and we'll endure, those blessings are coming. Blessings in this life and in the life to come. Lord, we are so blessed. There's so many blessings that, that involve much greater things than money. Lord, we're blessed with with families and homes and a great country and Lord a great city and we, we, we're just blessed in so many ways but Lord the greatest blessings of all are the blessings that we have in Jesus Christ those spiritual blessings that you have for us in the heavenlies and so we just thank you for those things and we thank you for the blessing of who you are in Jesus Christ we just thank you in his precious name amen